Malo e Lele. I'm Emil Donovan, and today on the detail, there's disappointment among the rugby community that next year's Super Rugby competition won't include a Pacifica rugby franchise. It's uh, obviously very disappointing. Uh, we thought that a number of the organisations who were putting their hand up for this opportunity had some really great strengths. A player revolt is brewing over New Zealand rugby's exclusion of a Pacific Islands team for next year's Super Rugby competition. Forty percent of our Super Rugby players are Pacifica. 50% of the current All Blacks squad is Pacifica. They have been such a massive contribution to rugby in the Southern Hemisphere and all over the world. They don't have a professional Super Rugby team underpinning their national teams. If we don't do something soon, they may very well not be here. A long-running controversy, but it could all be about to change. Two Pacific Island teams are set to join a new-look Super Rugby competition in 2022. The Moana Pacifica bid is understood to have the backing of New Zealand rugby, while the Fiji Rugby Union has also been tasked with basing a franchise out of Suva. And it's a shake-up many would say is overdue. Hopefully this will be a starter of um, you know, something special happening uh, in terms of developing a, a professional super rugby team that benefits the Pacific Islands, you know, raising the standard of our test rugby nations from the Pacific Islands. You know, I think that's important because, as we've seen, there's been a decline in that area. World Rugby, along with New Zealand Rugby, has confirmed it's financially backing a move to bring two Pacifica teams into the revamped Super Rugby competition next year. It's one of the biggest steps that could be taken towards helping develop and professionalise the sport in the islands, whose remarkable production of elite players has been exploited by other Test nations for decades. Today on the programme, RNZ Sports reporter Joe Porter and Pacific Rugby Players Association Chief Executive Aidan Clark on what's being proposed, why it's taken so long and what the hurdles are beyond the power of the almighty dollar. So when I first read about this story, it made me think back, Joe, to 2004 Mm. when the All Blacks played the Pacific Island team. Sends it wide to Sivivatu. Boy, there's some pace in this team. Now Luwaki, confronted by Rush. Got away from Xavier Rush. Sivivatu's looming. If he gets the pass, he's gone. He has got it, and he is gone. And it was such a great game. It was so cool. And that was 17 years ago, Joe. And why hasn't anything happened in that time? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Wasn't that fantastic? You know, the likes of Sione Lauake, Sitavini Sivivatu, you know, putting the All Blacks and other players to the sword and really showing, you know, the depth of talent that the Pacific Islands have and, and how much resource they've given to world rugby in terms of players. It just comes down to money, let's be honest. That's the main issue in all rugby around the world is money. Who has it, who doesn't, and who wants it, and what that money can do. The Pacific Islands don't have any money when it comes to rugby. They don't have enough money even to support their own teams, apart from the Fijian and Drua who play in the Australian National Provincial Competition. So the, the challenge is having the money to keep the best players in the islands. The easiest option for these players, because you can only have a certain number of players who are ineligible to play for the All Blacks in a Super Rugby team, it might be one or two, so therefore there's not much space for anyone that's already declared their allegiance or has played for Tonga, Fiji or Samoa in the Super Rugby competition in New Zealand, so therefore those players end up going to France, Japan, Europe to chase the money over there, and fair enough too. So that is the biggest issue there, is money. We don't, there simply hasn't been enough money to get this team up and running. Fingers crossed, that looks like it might be about to change. How do international rugby boards make money, and why are the Pacific Island boards so poor? 
they make money essentially through the broadcast revenue they get from their major events, such as the Sevens World Cup and the Rugby World Cup. They get an element of the gate takings when there are big tests uh, around the world involving some of the Tier 1 nations. They don't get any money for, say, England play the All Blacks at Twickenham. That just goes to England. Mm. But they do get money if there's any sort of world tournament involved. And, of course, they take all the proceeds from the World Cup and all the broadcast revenue that comes with it. So that's a massive amount of money. And the New Zealand Rugby Board and all the other boards and unions around the world essentially do the same thing. They take their money from gate takings and from broadcast revenue created by selling the rights to have their games played on whichever service that might be. Well, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji don't have a lot of international tests. They're usually organised by those other Tier 1 nations. They're usually in those Tier 1 nations' countries, so they don't get any of the gate takings. And they don't get much of the broadcast revenue split because it's a game that's been organised by New Zealand Rugby or Rugby Australia, etc., so those boards have very little income coming into it, and they do rely on World Rugby support, actually, just to survive. It sounds kind of like the deck is a little bit stacked against a lot of these Pacific countries. Mm. Remember a couple of years ago when, under a lot of pressure from John Campbell, then of Radio New Zealand, I think, the All Blacks went over and played a test in Samoa, and it was a really big deal. What does it mean for Samoa to have the All Blacks here this week? Well, it's uh, great, you know, uh, there have been much efforts to have this match uh, played here. And we have been playing rugby for close to 100 years. And if you don't play the champions, you know, you are not uh, a team. But I guess, you know, the unasked, well, and actually it probably was asked, question in that circumstance is why is this such a big deal? Why doesn't this happen more? Well, that's right. New Zealand, you would think, have a moral, if not financial, obligation to go to the Pacific Islands and play games there. A, because we use a whole lot of players from those Pacific Islands to fill our teams with, and B, simply because of the connection the two countries have, the bond we have over rugby, mm. and the fact there have been many players that have played for both New Zealand and Tonga or Samoa as well, back before, of course, the eligibility rules were changed. So there's a big connection there. And we have a large Pacifica community, of course, in New Zealand as well. Look, there's a lot of reasons why New Zealand rugby should be doing more, and the only reason that's stopping them is money. So there is this idea. It's an idea to support two Pacifica franchises in Super Rugby. Is that right? What are the nuts and bolts of it? Yeah, long overdue concept that you know New Zealand Rugby, along with World Rugby, are going to help facilitate the creation of two Pacific Island teams into the Super Rugby competition, which makes sense because, of course, they are local. So essentially, World Rugby have committed what is it about around seven million dollars over three years to help the Fijian and Drua and Moana Pacifica create teams and prove to NZR that they're financially sustainable and competitively sustainable to enter the Super Rugby competition from 2022. So that money that World Rugby gives them is is a bit, but it's not enough. Each team has to come up with about $10 million per annum to prove to New Zealand Rugby that they are financially sustainable. Obviously, a chunk of that will come from World Rugby, but the rest of it has to come from sort of private equity and sponsors and things like that. So no doubt those two teams are working furiously to make sure they meet those stringent financial demands. Mm. The main goal, really, of having these two teams in Super Rugby is not only to have representation of Samoan, Tongan, Fijian players and internationals within the Super Rugby competition within the Pacific region, but also, like I mentioned before, to try and keep the talent in those countries from leaving. Because all of that good talent now goes to Europe, Japan or England. You know, they don't, they don't stay in New Zealand very often, and if they do, that's probably because they're still eligible to play for the All Blacks, and that's their dream. Mm. But what we want is to keep those Tongan, Fijian, Samoan test players 
playing Super Rugby and staying locally rather than going overseas. We all know how much trouble they have getting released by their clubs in England and France to actually play for Tonga and Fiji. Often it makes more sense financially to, to not play for your country and just to, to really focus on your club. Um, this would change that. This initiative is subject to key conditions being met. What mm. sorts of conditions might we be talking about there? Well, the main two are money, financial sustainability, and competitiveness. They're the two key conditions that NZR are worried about. They don't want these two teams to enter Super Rugby in 22 and get 50-point floggings. That's not good for anyone. That's not good for anyone. You need a competitive competition. You need these teams to be competitive, not necessarily in the first season, but you need them to be showing signs because otherwise you know, the interest gets lost straight away. The whole project looks like a failure. But the main one, of course, is the financial sustainability. Like I said, they need to prove that they can come up with about $10 million per annum to keep this team running and functioning. And if they can do that, then New Zealand Rugby will be confident they can enter the competition and be there for a long time without you know, having to pull out after one or two years because they can't afford to keep going. And, you know, the, the sort of negative news and publicity that that would create. So they want these teams not to be a flash in the pan. They want them to last. The two teams are going to be based, um, the Fijian and Drua and Suva, because we, they have had Super Rugby games held in Suva and international tests there before. Mm-hmm. And then Moana Pacifica, they'll be based in Auckland, so they'll be able to use the existing infrastructure that's there through the Warriors, the Blues, etc., etc. This initiative is, I understand, subject to New Zealand rugby approval. Why is that? Well, I essentially think it's because New Zealand rugby will be helping out in some fairly significant ways. One, Moana Pacifica are going to be based in Auckland. They'll be using all the existing infrastructure like I've talked about there. Uh, Rob Nickel from, and the New Zealand Rugby Players Association are heavily involved in, in, in the Moana Pacifica bid with their intellectual property and, and knowledge about financial sustainability and what needs to happen in terms of player recruitment. The sustainability report that was commissioned into these two teams and whether or not they were viable was done by New Zealand Rugby. So... There is a lot of investment from New Zealand rugby because it is seen to be the right thing to do. It's time that we gave back to Pacific Islands rugby, but they have to have have to you know dot their i's and cross their t's. They have to make sure that these teams work and are sustainable. Otherwise, it looks like they've made some poor decisions and didn't think things through. Do we have any idea? I mean, you were talking about competitiveness as well. Do we have any mm. idea, any indications as to how good these teams are? No, <laughs> that will be a really big question, I think, once this all gets over the line. Who wants to play for them? How much top talent they can attract? Can they pull some of these top guys like Josias Tuisova, who plays in France, or Semi Radradra, who are absolutely international superstars? Can they be convinced to leave France and, what, a million or two million euros a year and come back? Probably not. However, it's the other players that are sort of often based in New Zealand or in the islands that are a little bit younger that haven't gone to represent any country yet that are the ones that they want to capture because at the moment, like I've said, Super Rugby New Zealand, you can only have one or two players in your team that are not eligible to represent the All Blacks. These two teams would have no such conditions. Mm. You'd hope that they'd be largely made up of Fiji and Tongan and Samoan players with a couple of New Zealand players you know, added into the mix to help them be competitive. There'll be a lot of New Zealand Pacifica players that would be pretty keen to jump in the Moana Pacifica team and represent their heritage, and no matter whether they be an all-black or not. You think of the likes of Artie Savio. Now, it's going to be hard because the New Zealand clubs aren't going to want to let their best talent go. But there is a lot of Pacifica talent in New Zealand that could fill these teams, as well as talent from overseas. The recruitment will be really interesting. When it comes to salaries in Super Rugby, what's the deal? Is there like a salary cap? Like, could uh, Moana Pacifica or the Fijian team offer salaries that would compare to the Hurricanes or the Crusaders? 
Yes, they could because there are maximum salaries. There are there are caps on how much you can earn in Super Rugby. So oh. I believe the minimum retainer is about seventy five k a year, and the max is about one hundred and fifty to two hundred k a year. So no, it shouldn't be an issue in terms of being able to offer contracts because they can still offer that max one all the way down to the minimum. It's going to be a matter of balancing their books and whether or not they can afford to spend max contracts on guys that you know may or may well not be worth it. Because you can't, I can't imagine any seasoned international veteran All Blacks who are on decent contracts at their Super Rugby clubs leaving at least in the initial first few years to go to Moana Pacifica. Um, and I know that the New Zealand Super Rugby clubs are very protective of their patch. They've had, you know, they've had some issues with Moana Pacifica possibly sitting up in Auckland. The Blues, in particular, of course, um, worried about talent drain there. And in fact, they sort of have made moves early on in the piece to potentially block the creation of Moana Pacifica because they were so worried about the player drain. I think some of those issues have now been resolved, but certainly the Super Rugby franchises in New Zealand aren't necessarily as encouraging of this potential for two Pacific Island Super Rugby teams from 2022 as New Zealand rugby are, that's for sure. That's interesting, eh? Because, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, in a way, New Zealand, whether willingly or or otherwise, we've kind of exploited the islands in rugby terms for decades, haven't we? on the move once more. Forster tries to get it out. Robbo also the trouble. He's gone straight over. Three people. Rob Andrew couldn't stop it. Comes to Nonu now. And Nonu finds a way through. Steps. Oh, Nonu, my God, score here. The kick and chase. Sonny Barney's out wide. <laughs> They've taken a leap out of the Lions' book. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the amount of Pacific Island players within the All Blacks over the years, within the Super Rugby sides. I believe the Hurricanes with Adi Savian now, uh, obviously Samoan Heritage, uh, Pacifica captain. 70% of the Hurricane squad are Pacifica. Mm-hmm. I think another 10 to 15% are Māori and the rest being Pālangi. So, you know, there are a lot of Pacifica rugby players in New Zealand. They make up a bulk of the Super Rugby squads, Pacifica and Māori. And um, certainly they have in the past made up a large chunk of the international teams we've produced as well. So there's, there's no doubt about it that New Zealand rugby has benefited enormously from the playing talent that comes from the Pacific Islands. And it's about time that New Zealand rugby gave back to the Pacific Islands and helped them to try and create a legacy where their international teams actually represent the quality of the players they produce rather than them just being the second-choice option if you can't make a Tier 1 international team. Because you've got the likes of Bundy Aki, for example, never made the All Blacks, but he's playing for Ireland now. You know, um, James Lowe, a New Zealand Māori player, playing for Ireland too. There's a whole bunch of players out there that had eligibility for these countries, the Pacific Islands, and even when they didn't make the All Blacks, they chose not to play for them. Bundy Aki went to Ireland and waited three years to get residency so he could play for them because they know that's where you get the big bucks. So hopefully... If New Zealand rugby can do the right thing here and get this, these teams set up, some of those players, like Bundy Aki, like James Lowe, who may not make the All Blacks, but are good enough to make other international sides, including the Six Nations teams, will play for Moana Pacifica or the Fijian Indra and therefore play for their own countries of heritage as well. A key consideration behind this idea is advancing rugby development in the Pacific Islands. Fiji and Samoa and Tonga have always produced top players. But in 2021, this isn't just a random 
hope the stars align kind of process. There are key off-the-field roles, sports scientists, nutritionists, advisors who help to manage finance and the pressures that go with being thrust into the spotlight. Aidan Clark is a former professional player who now heads up the Pacific Rugby Players Association. So that, that rugby development includes all of those things you said. Firstly, from the players, it's about commitment to where they want to head. Um, there's many, many very talented players who have been good through the younger grades and secondary school levels um, who haven't kicked on. And the ones who do kick on to that next level are the ones who have been committed to the other parts of their life and, and becoming professional athletes. Because of the way the game is at the moment, um, the raw talent actually just doesn't get to the top level. It requires a whole encompassing um, set of skills, not only on the field, but also off it. Because we're talking a lot of things that we assist the players with is their personal lives, um, what they're doing outside of rugby, how they're managing their money and, and things like that. And they all play a, play a role. So what does development look like for Pacific Island players at the moment? It looks like um, being identified at an early age, that there is some talent there. Um, getting the right expertise, uh, which is another key, good coaching uh, at an early age and getting into what I guess the best word is the system. And then it's all about the athlete and making sure that they um, do everything they can to get there. And I guess, unfortunately, and perhaps the super rugby teams will will change this, but for a really talented youngster in Tonga at the moment, probably the best thing that you could do for your career is, is to find some way to get over to New Zealand. Uh, yes. Yep, and and uh, and some go directly to the likes of Japan, and some will go to Europe. I don't have any science around it, but the most long-term and successful long-term rugby professionals that I've seen come out of the islands are ones that have done uh, a stepping stone and done some time in the likes of New Zealand or Australia. We see them pop up in the bright lights in Japan, Europe, or the All Blacks. But often, if you have a look at the pathway. Um, it actually includes coming through club or Mauritian Cup level, um, for instance, here in New Zealand, and that seems to be a pathway because when you're coming from the Pacific, it's not about just adjusting to the rugby, it's about adjusting to life as well. Sometimes New Zealand and Australia is a, is a better step um, than being thrown into the likes of France or Japan. So, yes, it, it, it does seem to be the pathway that is uh, taken by many, and I guess this is why these two professional teams um, have the opportunity to play such a critical role because uh, we never had that choice before. Um, the players just have to try and find it somewhere else and now there's an opportunity to to do it uh, in their own backyard. Let's talk a little bit about Europe um, and money because, you know, I guess one of the cool things about Super Rugby is this salary cap of, I think it's around 150 grand, which means that these um, Pacifica teams won't just be outbid by the established Super Rugby teams. But, I mean, realistically, you know, when 150 grand a year is, is you know, barely a tenth of what the top players in Europe are, are getting paid and Europe is just such a tempting place to go, what are the chances, do you think, of Pacific-based Super Rugby franchises luring back your semi-Radradras or your Charlie Pietaus or your, your Josiah Tuisovas? Uh, it's, it's very much dependent on the individual athletes. I think it's about not just the rugby, but where they're at with their personal lives. And we've described it, and I fully believe um, personally, is that 
there's a bit of a perfect storm happening at the moment in terms of the recruitment opportunity for both Moana Pacifica and Nandrua, mm. is that never before has there been more players wanting to head home and into the Southern Hemisphere. And that's because of effectively the impacts of COVID-19. Mm. We've had families who have been locked down and staying at home um, for long, long periods of time with builds isolation and loneliness and all those sorts of things, not just for them, but for their for their partners and for their families. Um, life's different to what it used to be. Um, one of the key benefits of being up there was the ability just to hop around and go on holiday all of through Europe, and that's not so easy anymore. And then coupled with that, we're seeing the tightening of the wallets through the clubs so most clubs um, took pay cuts. Some have been reinstated. Many have not. And really, I guess the salary caps for different teams looks very different now going forward. So quite possibly the gap between the money in Super Rugby in the South and the potential money in the North is is not as big as it once was. So now players are being presented as an option. And, and you and I would both know if you have been thinking about heading home, uh, if your wife is homesick or, or whatever it may be, if somebody puts a Super Rugby contract in front of you and you can be a little bit closer to home and not two flights away, um, then you're going to consider it a lot more than you would have probably you know, 18 months ago. There's been a bit of news recently around, um, which is fantastic, around the commitment from World Rugby mm. to put some money into each team. That money's not guaranteed to these two franchises until they can prove exactly how they are going to be intertwined and improve those national teams. The connection between them as, as separate private franchises um, and to the national teams needs to be seen by all before that money actually comes to fruition. So that's really the last chunk um, from our concern, is making sure we can assist those professional teams to, to make sure that, that happens. I guess the scepticism in my mind here is everything goes okay for three years and then after three years where rugby's like, oh, okay, we're going to pull out of this now and then after three years it just kind of falls over and, and, and sort of fades into nothingness and that seems like an eminently plausible thing. Yeah, there is that danger. There's no doubt about it. And if World Rugby pulls the rug in terms of that funding after three years, hopefully you would think that by then these teams have created enough of a fan base, have had enough success and have brought in enough sponsorship dollar and enough private equity investment because of that success that they can continue on without the World Rugby funding. You'd hope that that would be the case because they certainly are an exciting prospect. Um, but yeah, if that isn't what's happening and, and World Rugby pull the pin after three years, well, it would be a real crying shame to see the teams drop out just because they didn't have enough money to keep going because three years isn't really enough. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail comes to you from newsroom.co.nz and is made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify or any other podcast platform and you'll get a fresh episode automatically downloaded to your mobile device every weekday morning. And if you enjoy our work, leaving us a rating helps other people find us too. Alexia Russell produced this episode, which was engineered by Jeremy Ansel, and thanks to Joe Porter and Aidan Clark. Vinaka vaka levu na vaka rorongo.